It has been so long since I've been here. I feel like I'm out of practice on all this. <laughs> uh, our Old Testament lesson this morning <clears throat> excuse me, comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. And <clears throat> here we do have an occasion of eyes being opened and eyes being closed. And... Um, and open again. Second Kings, uh, chapter six, starting in verse eight, which can be found on page five seventy-five in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. And God, we pray that as uh, we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that you would open our eyes, that we would see more clearly who you are, that we would see more clearly the love that you have for your people. God, we pray that you would keep us from, um, from keeping our eyes closed on purpose. But God, we pray that you would help us to see, to really see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Turning then to Matthew 7. We have towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount... Verses 13 through 23, this can be found on page 1510 
Your pew Bibles. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, I mentioned a little bit ago that it's been a long time since I've been here. <laughs> uh, and it's actually a long time also since we have been in the book that we are now picking up in again. Uh, we had been looking at the book of Acts. In fact, we've been looking at the book of Acts starting last January. So it's been a full year now, and we're still <laughs> about midway through. Um, but we've taken some breaks along the way, including during the season of Advent, when we went back and looked at some of the prophecies of Isaiah. Uh, uh, when God would send his Messiah, what that would be like. And, uh, but now here we are, we're back in the book of Acts, and it's a time of transition in the book of Acts. So we kind of need to catch you up on what all's been going on, but today is a very good day to start back with it because it starts kind of a whole new thing in, uh, in what God is doing in his church and the lives of his people. All right, so first of all, what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the record of, uh, that Luke gives us. He already has written the book of Luke, and then the book of Acts. He starts it by saying, if I can get to the right page, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction, instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that was the first book, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so this is his second book, which is all about what Jesus continues to do and to teach, but now through the Holy Spirit and through uh, his disciples. And so we're going to see how the, uh, how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of the people throughout the whole rest of this book. And Jesus actually, before he's taken up to heaven, lays out geographically how this is going to work. And he says, you're going to be, this is chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we've seen in the first part of the book is exactly that happening, that the uh, disciples stayed in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and then they were witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and now we're getting ready to see the ends of the earth. And that actually kind of goes on for the rest of the book of Acts. 
And where we are uh, right now is at the end of chapter uh, 12 and the start of chapter 13. And what we have also seen in this, um, in this book is a lot of it started with a guy by the name of Peter, who you might remember, one of the 12 disciples who uh, is constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. Every time that anything is happening, Peter just blurts out whatever he's thinking, and Jesus kind of has to pull him aside. And now, now, Peter, that's, that's not how we do this. That's not what this is about. Uh, there are times where Peter tries to pull Jesus aside and say, hey, Jesus, that's not what we're about. And Jesus says, uh, no, you don't get to do that. <laughs> that's not the way this works. That Peter. And most of the um, first part of Acts, Peter has been really clearly in the forefront. We've seen him a lot. And we also got introduced to a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was one who was actually a Pharisee who was trying to kill the Christians, those who were following Jesus, and wanted to kill them. He wanted to throw them in prison. He just wanted rid of all of it because he thought they were so far off track. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life is changed. And we see from then on, he starts going a whole different direction. Instead of trying to um, persecute the church because of Jesus, he becomes the one who is persecuted as a part of the church uh, because of Jesus. And uh, so then we've kind of bounced back and forth between those two guys. And starting in this particular passage, Peter just sort of drops off the picture. We don't hear anything more about him. Now we start hearing, well, we hear a little bit more. But now uh, we hear almost exclusively about Saul. Another little change that's going to take place that's important to keep in mind is from now on, we're going to start hearing of Saul as Paul. Same guy. This is where we find out the same guy. But, um, but Saul was the Hebrew form of his name. Paul is the Greek form of his name. And so he has been mostly in Jewish areas, and so he's been going by his Jewish name. But now he's getting ready to go out more and more to exclusively uh, non-Jewish audiences. And so he gets known as, uh, as Paul. Like if I were <laughs> to go to Mexico, Joe, I'm, I'm Joe here, Jose there. So if I were there for a long time, people just start calling me Jose everywhere. Anyway. So that's kind of what's going on here. So uh, start in chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. 
But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. All right, so this is the next step in this journey. This is where the Holy Spirit is now taking the message of Jesus into the whole world. And it starts in some rather unusual ways, don't you think? But there are some things to note here that I think are really important for us today as well. One of the things is, uh, hang on, let's start back a little bit. It says when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, you know what their mission was? They're in Antioch, by the way, where the uh, Christians were first called Christians. And in uh, chapter 11, there was um, a severe famine that was predicted in the world. And so they actually took up a collection in Antioch to send uh, food and supplies to the church in Jerusalem. And it was... um, Barnabas and Saul in Acts 11.30 that go and take those gifts down to Jerusalem. And then now they finish that mission. Now they're back. All right, here we go. Let's just kind of back to business as usual. And they don't go back to business as usual. Instead, we have um, the Holy Spirit saying, set those two apart. I've got another job for them now. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to go to the work that I have called, called them for. And so uh, here's where we have something for us today. Saul and Barnabas, this is very clearly the case, are not just two lone rangers who are just coming up with ideas and going and doing stuff. You notice that? They are not completely independent and cut off from everybody else. What they are doing, they are doing as a part of the whole church. And so when the two of them go and take gifts down to Jerusalem, they're doing it because the church in Antioch has sent them to do that. And now when they go out and they go to Cyprus, which, by the way, if you look at your bulletin cover, you've got a little map there showing where they were and where Cyprus is, just so you can start tracking some of their movements uh, in your head on a globe. That's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea there. But when they go to Cyprus, it's not just because they think to themselves— you know, I bet that place is lovely this time of year. <laughs> or because they're getting in a disagreement with the church in Antioch, and they're like, ah, we're out of here. We'll go start our own church somewhere else. We'll go to Cyprus. I don't know. It's not that. It's they are being sent to Cyprus as those going from the church in Antioch. And so the church in Antioch actually uh, lays their hands on them, and they fasted, and they prayed. They placed hands on them, and they sent them off. That is a big deal. That now, what it is that Paul and Bar- or, Paul Saul and Barnabas are doing in Cyprus is actually an extension of the ministry of the church in Antioch. It's not just these two guys on their own, but they are there as representatives of the whole church, which is neat. 
the whole church in Antioch is actually there representing the church that started in Jerusalem and has been spreading out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this connection that goes throughout, and that is an important thing, and it's an easy thing to lose and to lose sight of. So anyway, so they go down to Cyprus. And when they get there, they go, as we will see, becomes the pattern. They always start at the synagogue. If there's a synagogue there, that's where they're going to go first. Why do they start at the synagogue? They start at the synagogue because the message that they are proclaiming is that, you know, we looked at, at, through Advent at, you know, the prophecies of Isaiah of how God had promised to send his Messiah, and this is what it's going to be like. And so Jesus is this Messiah. And so, of course, they're going to start with the people who already know the prophecies so they can say, hey, let's look back at all these prophecies. Let's look at the way that God has been working from the very beginning. You know all these things. Now let us show you how Jesus is the one that we've been talking about this whole time. So they start there. But, of course, then it goes out way beyond that. And so after they get to one side of the island, they go through all the way to the other side of the island until they get to kind of this capital city area of Paphos. And they meet these two people here, Sergius Paulus and Bar-Jesus, or LMS. One of them is the guy who is kind of in charge, and the other one is the one who seems to be influential over the guy who's in charge. And the one who is influential is uh, the sorcerer. He's identified for us as a sorcerer or as a false prophet. And uh, the interesting thing about this word for sorcerer is we already saw that with Simon earlier in the book of Acts, but it's also the, bo- the word that you get in uh, the Gospel of Matthew when he talks about these three wise men, as we normally talk about them, or magi, who come when Jesus is born. Same word. So I don't know if that changes our view of those guys or if it changes our view of this guy. But this is sort of the, the general category. Uh, in my mind, you have these... Uh, wise men who are marveling people with their knowledge of whatever else, and yet they recognize and they bow down to Jesus. Here we have one who is known for these same sort of things, but who refuses <laughs> to bow down. And in fact, he does everything he can to prevent anyone else from bowing down before Jesus. And so that is what his role is right here, is Paul and Barnabas come to tell this man the word of God, and this other guy is kind of getting in the way and trying to block them at every turn. And so um, we have some amazing parallels here to other stories that we have seen before this moment. For example, when this guy is, is called out, The way that he's called out is by saying, uh, because Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at him and said, you are a child of of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Does that sound familiar at all? You're a child of the devil? An enemy of everything that is right? It's not word for word. It's not the same exact kind of thing. But this is very familiar language to what Jesus said to Peter. 
when Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, look, you don't need to suffer and die. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And that is the same kind of thing now that uh, Paul is saying to this sorcerer, this Elamas, and saying, you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of men. And everything that you're doing is trying to get around what God is doing and trying to deceive the people, which is not okay. (laughs) There's actually um, another story this reminds me of, and it goes all the way back to Moses and Aaron when they go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had magicians, right? And God had given... Moses and Aaron, some signs to perform for Pharaoh to show him that this is actually God saying, let my people go. It's not just Moses and Aaron came up with a good idea. This is God saying, let my people go. And they start doing some of these signs, and what happens? Pharaoh's magicians, right? They start doing the same thing. It's no big deal. These are, just, these are just magic tricks. They're just fooling you. But then what happens? couple things. One, when you have the, uh, if you remember the snake, the rod goes down and the staff turns into a snake and the magicians say, oh, we can do that too. And they throw down their staffs and they turn into snakes. And then Aaron's snake eats the others up. You go, oh, well, that's, that was a weird turn on the whole, whole thing. Not what we were expecting from a magic trick. And then you go a little bit farther in the series of, uh, of plagues. And the magicians themselves start saying, uh, yeah, sorry, Pharaoh, but these aren't tricks. This is the finger of God. We can't do this kind of stuff. And it just continues to escalate from there. That's the same sort of thing that's happening here, is you have people who are doing magic tricks, and you have people who are actually operating by the power of God and showing that these are not the same thing, and they are not to be put in the same category. One is based on truth, and the other is based on deception. I actually have a quote by someone who would be shocked and appalled if they learned they were ever being quoted in a sermon uh, because of their uh, committed stance as an atheist and one who does not believe in God. This is uh, Penn Gillette of the comedy magician duo Penn and Teller, if you're familiar with them at all. Hilarious. Lots of good magic. Not good theology, but that's another thing. Anyway, and in introducing one of their magic tricks on the show they had called Fool Us, he started by saying this. He said, I'm going to tell you how every magician tonight and every magician ever fooled you. That was by lying, cheating, swindling, and stealing. Those are the techniques that are used. And those techniques are all immoral unless they are done with consent. And as soon as you turned on your TV to see a show called Fool Us, full of magic tricks, you gave us your consent. But the moment anyone does those tricks out in the real world, even on a press conference, even on TV, when you're not claiming to do magic tricks, then it is immoral. And magicians are not the only ones that do this. These same techniques are used by criminals and the government. (laughs) Oh, he is a funny man. But... (laughs) But he makes a good point that this is not something new. This is something that goes way back where people use uh, lying and cheating and swindling and stealing 
in order to deceive. And people do this for all kinds of reasons and in all kinds of ways. And what we see throughout the biblical account is that there are people who do that. And God continually says, no, that is not something that is to be done by my people, and that is not something that is to be done in my way. And I'm not saying don't do magic tricks. <laughs> I'm agreeing with Penn here. Do magic tricks. Just let people know you're doing magic tricks. Do not do magic tricks and then try to claim that that is somehow the power of some other being in order to, um, to gain a following or to um, lead people astray. And so that's what Elemas is doing. He is doing these magic tricks, and yet he's doing it without consent. This Sergius Paulus, who is trying to, um, he seems, he says he's an intelligent man, and he seems to actually want to know what is true. But what he's being led by is this Elemas sorcerer guy who is not showing him what is true, but is showing him deceit and trickery. And so Paul says to him, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. That's what he's been doing. That is what he deals with, deceit and trickery. But the message of God is one of truth. And so here's what ends up happening. Very similar to the, uh, the staff that turns into a snake and swallows the other snakes. Now we have two people who are both dealing in these uh, various powers, but one is doing it by magic tricks and the other is doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, all right, you refuse to see the power of God. You're not going to see anything by the power of God. And so his sight is taken from. This should also remind you of something that's happened earlier in this book. In fact, to Paul himself. Remember this? When Paul first met Jesus, this is how it happened. He went blind. (laughs) He had been one persecuting the church, who had been doing everything on his own power to try to stomp it out, but not looking to God and trusting God and uh, following God, but was in his own power doing his own thing his own way. And Jesus stops him and says, you have not seen what I'm doing, and therefore you're not going to see for a while. And so his eyesight is taken away, symbolically showing how he had been spiritually blind. And then it's restored. I would love, I would love to know what happened with LMS. To know if his story ended up the same way as Paul's. Not that he became, you know, the apostle to all of the Roman world and wrote half the New Testament. But to know if, when his sight was restored, if spiritually, he was able to see who... God is and what he's doing. We don't know that. Here's what we do know. We know about Sergius Paulus. And we know that he says when he saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. All right. So here's where it comes back for us again. Um, One is if we are... Let me start at the end. With Sergius Paulus. Saul and Barnabas have been sent to this place at this time so that this man can receive Jesus, right? They've been led by the Holy Spirit. They've been sent by the church in Antioch. This is what they are coming to do. And he receives Jesus. Does that mean there weren't any obstacles? 
There were definitely obstacles. There were obstacles along the way. But now let's look at it from the other side. Sergius Paulus had actually sent for Saul and Barnabas. Why? Because he wanted to hear the word of God. And he was able to hear the word of God. Not without obstacles. Here's the point. For uh, people like Saul and Barnabas, if God sends us to do something, this is a message we have consistent throughout Scripture. If he sends you to do something, he's going to give you what you need to do it. And so when we see obstacles, if Saul and Barnabas had gotten there and they see the sorcerer and they're like, ah, oh, might as well give up. There's no hope here. No. This is what God has sent us to do, so this is what we're going to do, even if there are obstacles, right? And they do, and it, hey, look at that. God actually follows through on his end of the deal. Always does. If we are like uh, this Sergius Paulus guy, he wants to hear the word of God. He wants to. Is Elemas going to tell him about it? No. <laughs> Where is he going to hear about it? He's going to hear about it from Saul and Barnabas. And so he sends for them. Send these guys to me so, so I can hear the word of God. And even though there are things and people who are blocking that and are trying to make sure that doesn't happen, if someone really wants to hear the word of God, guess what's going to happen? They're going to hear the word of God. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And we see this happening in Sergius Paulus. He wants to hear the word of God. He's asking. He's seeking. He's knocking. And, it, and it's answered. And he hears the word of God. And even though there's this other guy kind of in the way, that is not a, a challenge for Jesus to deal with. And he is removed, and Sergius Paulus hears the word of God, and he becomes a believer. So, uh, for us today, I hope this is pretty clear on what this means for us. The things that we do, we ought to be doing not uh, independent from the church, but as members of the church. The, the things that we do are to be uh, led by the Holy Spirit and to be done not with deceit or trickery or trusting in our own stuff, but following and faithful and honest and trusting. And then, uh, being reminded that we can do that fully assured that if we ask, we will receive, we seek, we will find, we knock, the door will be open to us. And that there are those around us who are asking and seeking and knocking and that we are being sent to them. And we can trust that God will get his word through. One way or another, he will. And so, uh, for us, if we know it, if we are following him, if we are trusting him, my prayer is that we would be the ones who would get that through. One final uh, challenge for us, because this passage started, this is kind of a whole separate thing, just because of where we are these days, this particular January. When it said, um, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's that church in Antioch again. Two weeks from today, we will be um, placing our hands on uh, Dobbs Lively and Duke Fredrickson, who have been elected to be installed as elders on session. 
Tonight we'll be doing that two weeks from today, uh, right here. Here's what I'm going to ask. That between now and then, that every member of this congregation fast and pray. That you'd spend, take at least one meal between, in the next two weeks. That's one meal out of however many two weeks worth of meals is. Take one meal to not eat, but instead to spend that same time in prayer for these two men. That you would fast, that you would pray for them and for their leadership as elders here at this church at this time. That when we come back together in two weeks for uh, laying hands on them and installing them to office, that this would be uh, something we do together and as a part of following the Holy Spirit's lead as we move forward together as a church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.